So thanks for being here this morning. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted that you're here. I hope you're having a great morning so far, and I hope it gets better from here. And we got baptism today, so it's going to be a great celebration, right? So good stuff. So let's see what's going on. So do us a favor, if you would. You'll find a card in the chair pocket right in front of you that says connect on it. And we'd like to be connected in a lot of different ways, but that's one way we want to be connected. So if you'll take one of those cards, fill it out with your family's name and information. We just need one per household is fine, but please do that for us. Let us know on there if there's some way we can pray for you. We'd love to be able to do that, but you have to let us know so we can. So write that down and then drop that in the offering basket later on in our time together. That would be beautiful. All right, let's see. So we got some other good stuff coming. They canceled football today so we could have our men's football detox. How about that? Actually, they're having a little thing called the Pro Bowl, but it's not real football anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So men, come and join us tonight, six o'clock for our men's football detox. We got barbecue. And we got a great speaker. Yeah, it's gonna be really, yeah, I got one. Yeah, yeah, right on. So uh, that's tonight, men. And then uh, a couple weeks from now, we're doing our one conference. So uh, those of you who are married, you're asked the question, is it getting better? And you're like, well, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe not. Or then the next question is, how do we make it better? And that's what we're talking about at that conference. So if you're married, you're engaged, you're in love, you know, whatever. If you want to come, if you go, I just, I'm just curious and I want to check it out, then come and join us. Uh, you're welcome to be with us that evening we've got, or that weekend. We've got Steve and Dana Clifford from San Jose, good friends of mine who are going to do a great job of leading us in that process. So come and join us for that. And then uh, one more thing I want you to know about, for several years, the churches in our community have been talking together and praying together about how do we serve the people in, a, in our community, our neighbors who are homeless. And if you've w- watched our community recently in the last few years, you've noticed that the population of homeless people among us is increasing. And we've been trying to figure out how do we, how do we care for them and help provide for them, especially shelter in the winter when it's cold and wet. And uh, for a season, the city kind of pushed against doing that, but this year has invited us into it and said, can you, can you guys do that winter shelter thing? So we're doing it. So churches already have started before Christmas hosting uh, the homeless in our churches throughout town uh, uh, like a week at a time. Our weeks are coming up February 11th through 24th, two weeks in a row. And we've got a lot of volunteers for the dinner time. We've got a lot of volunteers for breakfast. But what we're looking for are some people that say, I'll volunteer overnight. I know that's the harder part. But you can be a huge blessing to someone. If you would say, I'll give a night, or if you want to give, I'll give two nights, whatever you can. Uh, we'd love to have you volunteer and serve and be a blessing to somebody else, be a blessing to some of our neighbors. So invite you to do that. You can, you, if, you, if you're interested in doing that, write shelter on your card or go and talk to people at our info bar when we get done today and let them know you're interested. All right, good. Any questions? House Penelope. Oh, House Penelope. Thank you. Yeah, my granddaughter Penelope. Shall we talk? She's fantastic. She weighs over eight pounds and yeah, really doing good. And I promised the people on Saturday night last week, last week that I'd have pictures today and I don't, I forgot. So they're okay. I'm, but I'm, I'm writing it down we'll get pictures so you can see my grandbaby. Thanks for asking anything else. All right, cool. So uh, let's pray together and then we'll look into scripture. Okay. Father, we love you and we're grateful to you for all the good things you do in our lives. We're Grateful, Lord, that you're always fighting for us. You are this strong, powerful, mighty God, and you are for us. That's what the scriptures say. You're for us. And how amazing is that? We're not even always for ourselves, and yet you're for us. And so, Lord, thank you. We love you. We're grateful for all these good things, and we're grateful that you give us your 
scriptures in which you've written out what you want for us. And so help us today to walk through it, to understand it, uh, to figure out and to know how to apply these things to our lives so that you shape us and you shape the world through us. Lord, thank you. We seek you through Jesus. Amen. So we've spent the last three weekends in a series we're calling More Than Smoke and Mirrors. It's about magical relationships and what makes them magical. And we know that they're not magic all by themselves. We know that when you see a healthy marriage, you're not seeing a trick somehow. No one's like, it's not a trick to have a great marriage. It's not a trick to have a great relationship, whatever that relationship is made of, whether it's, a, whether it's marriage or family or work or, or, or neighbors or roommates or whatever. It's not a trick. It's more than smoke and mirrors. It takes some work. It takes some practice. It takes putting some energy into it to make changes that lift our relationships into a place where God wants them to be. And so we're talking about that. And last week we came across this word in Ephesians chapter 5. It's, it's like the S word. It's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Were you here for that? Yeah, and so we're going to take that the next step today. And, and sometimes it seems like sometimes you just need someone else with more authority to say it. Good afternoon. Hi, Charlie. How was church? It, it was sucked. fine. Stop it. It sucked. You're talking about church. Oh, like I'm not already going to hell. What was the problem? He feels the homily lacked panache. It did lack panache. It was a perfectly lovely homily on Ephesians 5.21. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, she's skipping over the part that says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. I do skip over that part. Why? Because it's stupid. Okay. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in something. In splendor. And I have no problem with Ephesians. And anytime you want me to cleanse you with the washing of water, you know I'm up for it. Then what is your problem? Hackery. Oh. This guy was a hack. He had a captive audience. And the way I know that is that I tried to tunnel out of there several times. He had an audience and he didn't know what to do with it. You want him to sing Valare? It couldn't have hurt. Words. Oh, Words, oh. when spoken out loud for the sake of performance, are music. They have rhythm and pitch and timbre and volume. These are the properties of music. And music has the ability to find us and move us and lift us up in ways that literal meaning can't. Do you see? You are an oratorical snob. Yes, I am, and God loves me for it. You said he was sending you to hell. For other stuff, not for this. You can't just trot out Ephesians, which he blew, by the way. It has nothing to do with husbands and wives. It's all of us. St. Paul begins the passage, be subject to one another out of reverence to Christ. Be subject to one another. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Let's have a baptism. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I hope the homily today has a little panache. <laughs> but I'm fascinated by those two who are really well-versed in the other person's requirements from God. So God says to men, you do this. And the wife, she's like, yeah, hey, you do this, Baba. But God says to the wife, you do that. And the husband's all over that. It's like, you should do that, woman. Fascinating how we read each other's mail. And we take the part that we like for ourselves and we give you the part we don't like so much. Isn't that kind of how it rolls out? How do you talk about this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? When you get to the word submit, it's so scary for us. It's so frightening. And yet it's so crucial to live as Christ wants us to live. It shapes how Christ 
wants us to live. So last weekend, we, we focused on this verse, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we learned some things. Four things we learned together last week that I want to I review for you before we move on to the next things that we have to get. There's a lot of stuff to get. But here's four things that we learned last week just to get it started off. Number one, biblical submitting is self-initiated. It cannot be commanded or ordered or coerced by another human being. God can ask us to do it. God can tell us to do that. But nobody else on earth can say to you, you have to submit to me. That's not what God is saying. It is self-initiated. And number two, it is other-oriented. It's about the other. Remember, the, the word submit means to arrange yourself under. So when you submit to someone else, you arrange yourself under someone else to lift them, to carry them, and to cheer them. That's what we're doing. And so it's other-oriented. It's generous by design. It's generous by definition. It is other-oriented. Number three, it's mutual. It is not like God said to wives, you have to submit to your husbands. We'll talk about why we've confused that next weekend, but it's not just wives submit to your husbands, it's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he's talking about these power relationships where one person didn't have to use to submit, but the other one did. And Paul's saying, let's, let's level this playing field. Let's make us partners instead of bosses and slaves. And so it's a mutual thing that he calls us into. And number four, biblical submitting is always transformational. When you practice it, it will change your life. And whether or not your partner practices it, or whether or not your friend practices it, or whether or not your boss practices it, those, doesn't, those things don't matter in the way you practice it. When you practice submitting to others out of reverence for Christ, it is life-changing. It's transformational. It's designed that way. And that's where we got to last week. And today we pick it up from there and we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 5 a little bit further. So if you have your Bible, why don't you pull it out and look at Ephesians 5. If you have your smartphone, you can pull that out there. We've got some notes in the YouVersion Bible app for you so you can follow along. You're welcome just to listen. If you learn better that way and focus better that way, that's fine too. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. This is written by Paul, the apostle of Christ. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. These are some of the greatest, most transformational words in the New Testament. 
And they are also some of the most misunderstood, misapplied, distorted words in the New Testament. How do we get it wrong so easily? How is this concept of submitting to one another, how has it gotten so far off of what God designed for us and what he called us to do? How, how do we get it wrong so easily? William H. Macy was speaking in an interview after the SAG Awards last Sunday night, and in his interview, they were asking questions about culture these days and what's going on, and he said, it's hard to be a man these days. A lot of us feel like we're under attack. I think that's fascinating because I'm not sure if there's ever been a time for women where it hasn't been hard to be a woman. I don't, I don't know because I'm not one and I know how risky, I, you know, I'm totally aware of how risky it is for me to talk about what women feel. But if men think it's hard to be a man today, imagine what it's like to be a woman in this culture. USA Today did a poll. They found out that nearly half of all American women in the workforce have been sexually harassed. And so talk of submitting to one another may sound tone deaf in a season like this. I understand that. Or to some degree, I understand that. But I believe that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is the antidote to the mess we're in in our male-female relationships today. And I believe it starts with men. So we're going to take a few minutes today to talk to the men. And ladies, don't, don't worry. We're going to get to you next week. And don't skip next week because it's going to be better than today. But let's talk. Let's talk about men. We'll, the, ladies, there'll be some stuff in here that you go, oh, that'll be helpful to me as well. So let's see if we can walk this through together. We tend to do male-female relationships badly in our culture. We see it in, in sexual harassment issues today. We see it in a sexual, assault, sexual assault issues today. And a lot of people will say about those things, they're not really about sex. They're really about power. And it's so interesting when Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago, he's talking about upsetting the traditional power relationships in our world. There are peer relationships and there are power relationships. Peer relationships like friendships and siblings, those kinds of things where there's no one in charge. But in Paul's generation, there were some power relationships, one between husbands and wives where the husband had all the power and the wife had none, and family relationships where the dad had all the power and the children had none, and work relationships where the master had all the power and the slaves had none. They're power relationships. And all this harassment and assault stuff that we're going through, they're power issues. Then he's saying, let's upset that power structure by learning to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The way of Jesus is never to grasp for power, which is really, really odd because Jesus is the son of the almighty God. If anybody had business grasping power, if anybody could stand up and go, I have the power. You have to do what I say. It would have been Jesus. He could have called 10,000 angels to do whatever he wanted. He had power. But it is not the character of Jesus to grasp power. In fact, it is the way of Jesus to give power away. It is the way of Jesus to give power up. I 
We can't hide from the journey that we've been on. It would be senseless to try and hide from it. It's everywhere these days. It's around us. It's in the news constantly, all the time. But sometimes we try and hide from bad news. Men have misbehaved among us. Men have misbehaved in the entertainment industry, and men and women have known about it and tried to cover it up. Men have misbehaved in the political world, and men and women have known about it and tried to cover it up. And sometimes men have misbehaved in the church world, and sometimes men and women have known about it and tried to cover it up. We have to change the way we deal with one another in these power relationships. And we learn to do it by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. At Lakeside, we're aware of the need for that. We're aware of changes even churches have to make to be clear on. God says we are partners in this journey, male and female. We are partners in this journey. And how do we do that the best way possible? We do it when we learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sometimes we do it badly in our homes. Sometimes, sometimes men get so fixated on what God says to the women in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that the men dial up their whole, their whole way of life in their marriage or in their household or in their relationships based on what God says to the women. Because in the, in the passage to the women, and starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife. And so sometimes men in the family, we, we're like, hey, I'm the head. That means, that means what? means I'm the boss. That's often how we take the concept of being the head. It's like, I, I, I'm the boss. Men by nature want to win. Now, I'm pretty sure that women by nature don't want to lose. I don't, I don't think it's like, hey, men are competitive and women are not. I know some pretty competitive women. But men want to win, and sometimes men will pursue winning at all costs. The first sin outside the Garden of Eden, after the human beings had gotten kicked out for rebelling against God, the first sin outside the Garden of Eden was when one guy killed his brother because he lost the contest. He didn't win. He killed his brother because of it. We want to win, and we want to be boss, and we want to be in charge. And sometimes men have used the idea of submission as a club against their wife or against their children. And the problem with that is submission is never about being over someone or something. Submission is always about being under someone or something. It means to arrange yourself under. When you submit to somebody else, you arrange your life. It's like you're going to put your life in a certain order. You're going to set it up with a certain structure. You arrange your life to be under somebody else with the goal of lifting and carrying them. So whenever you claim, hey, I'm the head, so I'm the boss, you're out of line with the whole idea of what submission looks like, what God meant for it to be in the first place. Sometimes we get it wrong in our homes because we go, hey, I'm the head, so I have to be the spiritual leader. And sometimes that's the man talking, I'm the spiritual leader. Sometimes it's the wife talking, you should be the spiritual leader. And that creates a lot of fear for a lot of men, frankly, because many men look at their wife and they, and they go, she's a better leader than I am. Why would I think I could lead her? Or they'll say, she's farther along in her spiritual journey. How is it possible that I will lead, be able to lead her? She should lead me. 
Some women feel like when men do that, they're abdicating their spiritual responsibility. But the problem with that is the calling from God for men in a marriage particularly is not to lead, but to love. We have been so focused on the idea of men as the spiritual leader of the home, the spiritual leader of the wife. We've been so focused on that over the last generations that we have missed the whole concept that what God really calls us as men to do is love our wives. That's our calling. There's no calling in Ephesians 5 to lead your wife. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's not the focus. And when it becomes our focus, it distracts us from God's focus for us, which is men, love your wife. It's the best thing you can do for her. When you love your wife, men, when you love your wife like Christ loved the church, you will be leading her straight to Jesus. So before we go on and talk about how to do this, can we, can we cover the yeah buts? You know yeah buts? Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I know you're sitting out there going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. So let's just talk about the yeah buts before we go on. All right, because I'm, I'm hearing some of you go, yeah, but I always heard that the man's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the wife. I'm like, yeah, I've always heard that too. I just haven't heard it from the Bible. I've heard it from a lot of teachers, a lot of speakers, but I haven't seen it from the Bible. And I believe it distracts us from what God really calls us to be about. Some, I can hear some women saying, yeah, but, but I really want him to lead. I really want him to be the spiritual leader. It would be so great if he were the spiritual leader of me and of our, of our household. And I'd say, yeah, but I think there's a greater gift he can give you. Man, you have a greater gift for your wife and for your family than to be the leader. Not that leading is bad, but you have a greater gift to give. I can hear some men say, yeah, but I'm not really comfortable with talking of, you know, all this talk about the husband should submit to his wife when it says very clearly the wife should submit to her husband. I propose to you that your wife's probably never been comfortable with all this talk about wife submit to your husband. And we'll come back to that. I can hear some men saying, yeah, but my wife's not even a follower of Jesus. I mean, how can I make this happen if she's not even following Jesus? Like, this is going to be impossible for me to do. And I would say, no, the application of love is not dependent on the faith status of your spouse. The application of love is never dependent on the faith status of anybody that you're called to love. You're called to love your neighbor. Your love for them is not dependent on whether they love Jesus or not. Same thing in our households. Same thing in our marriages. How do we do it better? How do we live this life better that God has called us into? This life that's designed to be full of life and joy and beauty and strength and health. Health. How do we live that better? Paul describes it for us in these verses in, Matthew, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. The upshot of the whole discussion is this. Men, 
arrange your life to love your wife. That takes all the concept of submitting and arranging ourselves under someone else and then it applies specifically to men. Here's your marching orders. Here's what it looks like for a man to submit to his wife. It looks like he loves her. And I don't mean just like he feels romantic for her. I mean he chooses to love her. Here's how Paul lays it out. He says, men, I want you to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. So let's look at the action words that he's given to us here. He goes, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. There's the action. It's love. The word that he used is a word that some of you know. It's the Greek word agape. It means sacrificial love. It means laying down your life for somebody else. That's what Jesus did. And he calls us men to do that. Lay down your life for your spouse. That's the calling. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. The method was, it says, he gave himself up for her. Literally, that means he transferred authority to her. It's not passive. It's like, well, okay, whatever happens. No, he actively transferred authority. That's what Jesus does. He transfers authority to others. He transferred authority to his disciples. When he's standing before Pilate, the governor who's about to have him crucified, He's not answering Pilate's questions and Pilate gets frustrated with him. He goes, don't you know I have the authority to send you to a cross? And Jesus calmly replied, you would have no authority unless it had been transferred to you from the Father. It is the nature and practice of God to give authority to others. Jesus gave himself to the church. He calls us as husbands to give ourselves to our wives Why? What's the motive? He says, I want to make her holy. We talk about spiritual leadership, and what does that look like? It's like, it's just the process of loving your wife so much that she becomes holy. That's what Jesus wanted to do for the church, and he did that through humble, gentle invitation to us. Why? Because he wants to present the bride, his, his church, he wants to present her to himself as a radiant bride beautiful, glorious, amazing. That's what he wants. And to present means to stand next to her. It means literally to stand beside someone. It's not a power move. It's a partner move. It puts us on the same field, on the same plane, at the same altar as partners. And a strategy to do this is to cleanse her. Jesus, in regard to his church, never does anything to make his church feel dirty or dull or soiled. He only acts for the sake of his church to cleanse her. And what's his desire? What does he want out of it? He wants the stains removed. He wants to present her to himself without spot or blemish or wrinkle or damage or any of those things. And it's sad to me when I think about our marriage relationships, how often those stains and blemishes and wrinkles and spots come from the infliction of a husband onto his wife. Jesus turns that around. He goes, I'm going to be filled with love, sacrificial love for my wife to remove any blemishes that I've caused so that she becomes beautiful. And how does he do it? 
He loves her sacrificially, generously, thoughtfully. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that's a beautiful model for us. But honestly, that model may be a little a little esoteric for us, like, oh, I don't see Jesus, and I don't know what, you know, I don't know really how he does this. I know that he died on the cross, but I don't know really how this works out in practice. And Paul knows that may be a little bit hard to grasp, and so he goes, let me give you another analogy. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, but let me give you another analogy. He says, and also love your wife as you love yourself. Love your wife as you love your own body. I'm like, okay, now we can get it. Because he says, because no, no, nobody hates their own body. They feed and they care for it. They make sure it's all put together. Maybe you don't do it perfectly, but you, but you do it. He goes, why don't you love your wife like that? I mean, like, you, you feed yourself, right, men? Well, maybe your wife feeds you. <laughs> no, we feed ourselves. Some, some of us feed ourselves a lot, and we, and we care for ourselves. We care for our body. We take we take some kind of care of it, and then we admire it in the mirror. I mean, man, can we just speak freely about this? Right? You look, I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't, doesn't, it just doesn't matter. You, you still look in the mirror and you go, I got it. <laughs> what if you just treat your wife that way? You feed her, you care for her, and you admire her, and you tell her those things. Love, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Love her like you love your own body. Love her like you love yourself. And just follow this job description. Here, men, here's the marching orders. Arrange your life so that you can love your wife. Whatever gets in the way of that, rearrange it. Anything that gets in the way of loving your wife like that, rearrange it, reorder it, restructure it. Arrange your life in such a way that you may love your wife. It's how we practice submission as men. Jesus, I pray for us for these things. These have been so hard for us to understand and to grasp as men over the years, over the centuries. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would have your heart so clearly etched into our heart that these behaviors that you're calling us to, this arrangement of our life that you're calling us to, would just become a natural part of who we are. It would become a natural part of what we do. Lord, thank you for being the model of it. Thank you for demonstrating it for us. Thank you for giving us your spirit by which you empower us to live these things out. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen.